Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1, as we uh, continue in this Advent study to look to Luke's Gospel. If you were with us uh, last week, uh, talked then about how we're taking a break in our study of Exodus to, to consider this Advent season, what the Scripture teaches us, uh, particularly in regards to John. Uh, John, as you know, was a forerunner of Christ. He was the one who heralded the coming of the King, the Messiah. Uh, he was the one, as we looked last week, whose birth was foretold to his father, Zechariah. Uh, there had been about 400 years of silence. There had been no prophets from God, no words from God. And then John's father uh, goes into the temple as a priest, and it's there that he learns of John's birth. It breaks the silence, as Gabriel tells him, that John will be born. And so we looked last week primarily at how so often we see that, that God's timing is very different than our timing. And Advent reminds us of that. It reminds us that there's times when we might feel on our end of things as if God has forgotten us or we may wonder uh, what God's plan is. Uh, but it's a reminder to us that God always has a plan, uh, that God fulfills His plans perfectly, and that when God acts, He burst onto the scene as we see very clearly in the Scripture in this Advent story. And so uh, we're going to continue in this Advent series now by looking at Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 39 through 45. And so essentially, uh, we've gone from seeing the birth of John foretold, and then as the story continues, we see Gabriel telling Mary about what's about to happen, and now we get to the point where Mary is visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And so we're going to look at verses 39 through 45 this morning. And so out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this text for us this Lord's Day. And this is what God's inspired word says to us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. If you would pray with me, church. Father, just as we see in this passage belief at the things that were spoken, I pray, God, that you might help us to believe today. Help us to believe in the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel. Help us then to repent and trust in you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We live in, a, in an age, in a context now, where it almost becomes an expected thing this time of year to see a, some type of controversy surrounding nativity scenes. And we've all seen the, the, the news stories about uh, those who protest nativity scenes in the pub, public sector. In fact, it Places where normally you used to see nativity scenes, maybe outside of courthouses, town squares, uh, they seem to not be there so much anymore. There's, there's a lot of controversy around this, but I was surprised 
uh, to read about a different kind of controversy uh, just this last week regarding a nativity scene. Uh, It was in an article about a billboard in New Mexico and then another set of billboards in Texas. And on those billboards were a nativity scene. Uh, But it wasn't sponsored by who you might think it would be. It wasn't the local Baptist church. It wasn't a Christian ministry. No, these billboards were sponsored by the American Atheist. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that if you saw what was on the billboard. Because in addition to this large nativity scene, read the words, Just skip church. It's all fake news. Happy holidays from the American Atheist. Their message is, it's all fake news, it's all propaganda. It's all misleading information intent on depriving you of reality and the truth. And so why go to church to hear this fake news? In essence, the atheists who sponsored this billboard are saying to those who believe in the nativity, believe that Jesus indeed was born, that that scene depicts what the scripture says. Well, if you believe that then you're a fool. As I considered this, reading this article, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 14, verse 1, that tells us the fool says in his heart that there is no God. As we come to the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded that that, that Luke has gone to great lengths here to make sure that the news we have is anything but fake. He's gone to great lengths to make sure we are receiving a genuine account, an authentic story. In fact, Luke's gospel begins a bit different than other gospels because he begins by laying down this foundation of what he's done to compile these things for us. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. And so what Luke is saying here is that inasmuch as we have other people who are compiling other accounts, I wanted to know the truth here. I went to eyewitnesses. I received testimonies. I talked to people who were there with Christ. And he's compiled all these things together, the Scripture says, so that, verse 4, you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Friends, this is anything but fake news. This is the authentic truth handed down to us through generations, through this sacred text from a holy God who wants us to indeed know the real thing, know the genuine truth. And so as we consider this truth that we find in this passage today, I want us to consider some things it teaches us about this Advent season that we are in, beginning with the first point there in your outline, a reminder that Advent is a time to remember. It's a time to remember. Advent is a time when we look back and we look ahead. But the looking back part is remembering what God has already done. And we are able to remember these things in part because of the account Luke has recorded for us. Now how did Luke come about this account? Well he's already told us that there were eyewitnesses and others. And then we also know from the scripture 
that these words don't come from man, they come from God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scriptures inspired by God. And so God has used people throughout the generations of putting together the word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to give us this canon of scripture. And so it's through this inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, through these eyewitness accounts, that, that Luke has compiled this information. And what better eyewitness to talk to about the things leading up to the birth of Christ and Mary's pregnancy with Christ and the birth of Jesus, who better to talk to than Mary herself? I mean, if you want to know about somebody's birth story, who do you talk to? Now, I had a birthday yesterday. I turned 44 years old. I'm an old man. And as I had my birthday yesterday, I was thinking about the events on my birthday. I was born December 9th, 1973 in Newport News, Virginia. Like yesterday here in Nelson County, it snowed there a little bit that day. Uh, some of the events ran, as some of you may remember. How many of you, by a show of hands, remember the oil crisis in 1973? Anybody? Okay. So during that oil crisis, yeah, mom and dad certainly did. Uh, during that oil crisis, there was a gas shortage. And so to get gas, it had to line up with the day of the week, odd or even days, based on your license plate, if it was odd or even. So you could only get gas on certain days. Now, I know these things. Because I was born on December 9th. I know these things not because on December 9th, 1973, I came out as the most observant infant in the world. I know these things because my mom and dad have told me about these things. But because they remember that day. My mom especially remembers that day. I was 10 pounds when I was born. No more kids after me. And so if you want to know the birth story, you talk to who? The mom and the dad. They're the ones who tell you the story. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the most likely situation is that Luke would have gone to Mary now later in her life and he would have asked Mary to recount these events. He would have asked Mary to tell him about how she heard the news from the angel Gabriel. He would have asked Mary to tell him about those early days of her pregnancy and what she was experiencing and going through. And in recounting those things, Mary would have then told Luke, well, well let me tell you what I did right after I found out this news. But let me tell you what I did right, right after I, I found myself to be with child through this miraculous way, through the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what I did. I rushed to visit my cousin Elizabeth. And so as she's remembering these things, she's, she's recounting them and she's telling them to Luke and he's then putting them down for us and for others throughout the history of the church. It starts out in verse 39. It says, in those days... And those days, what days? Well, well, the days where we've just read in Luke's gospel, the days when Elizabeth found out she was pregnant. In fact, the scripture tells us here specifically, she would have been about six months pregnant at this point. And Mary was likely a few days, no more than a few weeks pregnant with Jesus. And Mary, of course, was a teenager. Her cousin Elizabeth was, of course, much, much farther along in age. And the scripture tells us here that, that in those days, Mary went with haste. 
Now, this is a little different than you and I today in our, our hurry and our rush. That this rush of hers would have taken her about three or four days. It was about an 80 to 100 mile journey to the south countryside where Elizabeth and Zachariah would have lived. The scripture doesn't tell us all the details about Mary's journey, but what we do know is that she was young. She was pregnant. She perhaps was alone. There's no account here of anyone going with her. So she goes on this journey for days, and she goes to, to be with Elizabeth, and, and the scripture says she does it with haste. So she's in a hurry. She wants to get there. The question is, why? Well, I think through the power of the Holy Spirit here, both Mary and Elizabeth were already putting some pieces together. Certainly there were some differences between them, differences in age, but there were also some great similarities here, weren't there? That the angel Gabriel had appeared to both Mary and to Elizabeth's husband Zechariah, that the angel had told them that the events were now coming together in salvation history, and that they would have children who would play a significant part in salvation history. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have John, who would be the last prophet of the old covenant, who would come and would herald the coming of Christ. And now Mary and Joseph, well, they would have this child, but not by Joseph, by the Holy Spirit, who would be the Christ himself. Probably nobody else could understand what these ladies were going through but them alone. And so Mary travels there to be with Elizabeth. And the scripture tells us what Mary likely recounted to Luke as he was putting this account together. That, that as she goes there to visit with Elizabeth, this, this child, John, in her womb, it, it leaps. <laughs> now, of course, the question would be, well, how... How would she know that? I mean, it wasn't her womb, it was Elizabeth's womb. Well, the scripture tells us she would tell her. And not just that he left, but he left with joy. <laughs> now, a casual reading of this might think, well, John's just moving around. I mean, that's what babies do in the womb. You know, those of you moms probably remember those days when, when little bit was in there and started moving around. <laughs> I can remember uh, with our pregnancies, with our kids, just being fascinated, seeing almost this fist trying to punch out. You know, I was more fascinated than Sandy. She was not so excited when that would happen. But, but, but what's going on here is not just the movement of a child in a womb. What's going on here, the Scripture tells us, is that John is leaping within the womb, and the Scripture tells us he is leaping with joy. And so Mary and Elizabeth, that this encounter they're having is a divine encounter. They come together, they likely spoke about all the things they'd experienced up to this point. They probably spoke about the angel Gabriel visiting Zechariah. Of course, the scripture tells us Zechariah didn't believe, he was mute, he couldn't talk, but somehow he was able to make signs, and so people knew what was going on there, and he would have somehow relayed that to his wife. And so Elizabeth has this story to tell, and of course Mary had her own encounter with Gabriel, she has this story to tell Perhaps they're thinking ahead and they're talking about what, what, what is this going to look like for our boys. I mean, there was so much they didn't know and they didn't understand. But for those things that they did, you can imagine conversations they had with one another. This visit wasn't just for a few days. The scripture tells us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. You can do the math there. Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary gets there. She's then nine months pregnant when Mary leaves. Perhaps Mary was even there for the birth of John. 
I mean, perhaps teenage Mary is there, three months pregnant with Jesus, watching her cousin deliver this child, perhaps even helping her cousin deliver this child, her cousin much older in age, but delivering this one who's going to be the prophet, who's going to foretell the coming of the child in her womb. And she's just remembering all these things and all these details as she's telling Luke. It's a wonderful reminder for us that in a season of Advent that we find ourselves in, this should be a time for us to remember as well. We remember what took place in the Gospels. We are to remember why it is Jesus indeed was born and what Jesus did. We're to remember the Gospel. We're to remember that apart from the nativity, apart from the birth of Christ, we would still be dead in our sins and trespasses. We're to remember just the, the awesome reality that we exist in to live on this side of eternity, to, to be at a place in salvation history where Christ has come and He's gone to the cross and He's died for our sins and that we, like the people of old, are headed towards a land of promise. I mean, just consider for a moment, how often do you just sit and think about the gospel? I mean, let's be honest. Think of some of the stuff we just sit around and think about. I mean, maybe what you're thinking about right now, other than this sermon, you know, think about that for a second. But think about the nonsense that we have conversations about week in and week out. Think about the news of today that's forgotten tomorrow. But they think about how hectic this season is and all the trouble we're going to to, to get that, that, that toy no one else can find. <laughs> well, I can find it six months from now at a yard sale because that's where it's going to be. And think about we, we fill our minds with so much stuff, but what we should be doing during this time is just kind of peeling those things back and considering, remembering the beauty of the gospel. That the Scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The Scripture tells us that you and I were born. We inherited Adam's sin in our DNA nature. We are born sinners. And as we grow, that, that sin manifests itself. And we might not be the worst versions of ourselves, but we are indeed sinners and we do indeed deserve death. But God demonstrates His love toward us, the Scripture says. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. I mean, just consider for a moment all that God has accomplished throughout His Word that you this morning might be saved. And push back those other things. And remember what God has done. Advent is a reminder to us that we need to spend more time remembering these things. Point two, it's also a time that we need to offer praise. Advent is a time to offer praise. Luke chapter 1, if I were to ask you this morning, well, well, tell me about the praise in Luke 1. You would probably immediately go down there to verse 46, Mary's song of praise, this great praise from Mary. That's what we're normally drawn to. But notice, just in this brief section we've looked at this morning, there's a lot of praising going on here. 
There's Elizabeth's praise. So she praises God for Mary and for Mary's pregnancy. And notice just for a moment again what we see here. Here is Elizabeth, six months with child, and her cousin, her young cousin comes to her, and there be no outward appearances of pregnancy yet. This child in her womb is days, maybe weeks old. I mean, in our culture today, many would say, well, that's not even a child. That that, that child can't survive on its own. It's not really a a human life yet. Others would say, "Well, well, until that child's born, it's not really a child. It's just a fetus. It's an it. It's not a he or a she. Well, there's no debate in Luke chapter 1 along those lines. Here we have Elizabeth, six months pregnant with John, as she looks at Mary, calls her a mother. She's the mother of Christ. And in her womb is this days-old, maybe weeks-old child, the Messiah Christ. And Elizabeth just praises God. She praises God that Mary has come to fellowship with her. She praises God. She sees how blessed she is. She's very humble to, to be in the presence of the one who would have the one who would save her. But it's not just that. No, it's also there's, there's praise here from the child in her womb. <laughs> there's praise here from, from John as he leaps in the womb. He leaps with joy. That, that, that word in the Greek, he is celebrating. He is joyful. He is praising God. This child in the womb is praising God for what is taking place here through the work of the Holy Spirit. One early church father said it this way, not yet born, John already prophesies. He's the one who would be that last prophet of the old covenant. And here he is in the womb already prophesying. This indeed is the Christ. Another said it this way, that John's the only child who ever turned his mother's womb into a pulpit. And this is his sermon as he leaps joy as he offers praise it's a great reminder to us friends that advent should be a time for us to praise as well i've asked already when's the last time you just sat and thought about the gospel let me ask another question when's the last time you just sat and thanked god for saving you i think it's safe to say that within the last 24 hours most of us, perhaps all of us in this room, have thanked God for food. <laughs> My father just went to see his side of the family in Virginia, and he, he, he brought me back a, a birthday gift. My aunt makes these divine ham biscuits. Now, I can tell you don't have any idea what I'm talking about because I'm so excited right now, and you're just staring at me with blank looks. Imagine the best thing you ever ate, and now imagine something better. I have to watch how much pork I eat for different reasons, so I've been saving up to eat these things. And they're so good. And so as I was thanking God for them, I was thanking God for them. You know, everybody in this room, probably you pray for meals. Thank you, God, for this meal. 
But when's the last time you just sat and you just thanked God for saving you? I like the ham biscuits. But the ham biscuits offer me nothing for my eternity. And we will thank God for... I'm not saying you shouldn't thank God for your food, but, but we will thank God for things sometimes that in the grand scheme of eternity are, are rather small and trivial, and, and we won't spend much time thanking Him for things that are huge. <laughs> and here, what do we see? Mary praising God for it, Elizabeth praising God for it, and John praising God for it. They're praising God for Jesus. They're thanking God for Jesus. I encourage you today, just take a moment and thank God for Jesus. Because friend, hear me, this time of the year and this world we live in, you will have everything thrown at you at Christmas time other than Jesus. I saw a New York Times ad a while back that said this, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Nobody from the New York Times has called and asked for my opinion. But if they did, I would say no, friend. The meaning of Christmas is that we are unable to put together a world of unity and peace. Because left to ourselves... Well, we can't bring peace. That, that, that's why we need Christ. <laughs> that, that's why we need the Prince of Peace. Think about it. The world we live in is filled with peace? No. That the world we live in is filled with wars and rumors of wars. The world we live in is filled with people who for generations and centuries have been warring against each other. And maybe there's a few moments here and there when it seems there's some type of treaty of peace, but then time goes by and what happens? Someone breaks the treaty. And in the ancient world, you know how true peace came? It's when one kingdom completely conquered the other kingdom. That the only way to have lasting peace was to conquer the enemy. And the same thing is true today. And that's why when, when Jesus came, He didn't stay a baby. He grew to be a man and He went to the cross and He died for our sins because on that cross, He defeated the enemy. He crushed the head of the enemy. We can have peace now because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we should praise God for that peace and thank God for Christ because of what He's done. Advent is a time for us to remember. It's a time for us to praise. And then third, Advent is a time to believe. Where we're reminded of this in this account, in that last verse there, verse 45. Again, remember the, the setting here. Uh, Elizabeth, six months, maybe a little more than six months before this encounter, had another encounter. Her, her husband, Zachariah, returned from his service at the temple and something was different about him. He couldn't speak. <laughs> now, I don't know how big of a talker Zachariah was before this happened, but we know he couldn't say a word at this point. He's mute. 
that the scripture tells us that while he was in the service in the temple and he came out mute, he was able to make signs and somehow communicate with the other priest. And so the likelihood is he, he, he's trying to communicate with his wife. He can't speak, but somehow through making signs, he, he's able to communicate with her likely what's taking place and why he can't talk. <laughs> That the angel Gabriel told him his wife would have a child and he did not believe. And now he can't speak. And now six months later, here's Elizabeth pregnant with a child and her young cousin Mary comes days into pregnancy. And just consider for a moment what that was for Mary. I mean, Mary knows the culture she lives in. Mary knows how Joseph is likely to respond. Mary knows what the Old Testament law permits the people of her day to do, which is stone her to death. Because the people of her day weren't going to just say, oh yeah, you must be a virgin pregnant by the Holy Spirit. No, they would have thought, no, she's cheated on Joseph. She's committed a great sin, a great atrocity, and she deserves death. And Mary, in these days when there's no physical change to her body, what is she doing? She's believing and she's trusting. And Elizabeth sees this belief and notes this belief. Think of the contrast there between Mary and Zechariah. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, but for those of you in this room who are married, you ever had a situation where one of you was right and one of you was wrong? How's the one of you who's right respond in those situations? With great humility, I'm sure. Not in our house. I can say this because I'm right a lot. And so over the years I've written a song about it. I was right. You were wrong. I'm going to sing it all day long. No, in humility, actually, Sandy wrote the song for the few times she's right and many times she's right. We, we play, we joke about it. Maybe you do that too. Maybe you find humor in these things of, can, can you believe you thought that? Oh, I was, yeah, now who was right here? Let's just revisit this again now. So, so just think for a second about Elizabeth in this situation. Here she is. Mary comes to her. Mary believes, and as she's praising God for Mary's belief, maybe out of the corner of her eye, she's looking over at Zachariah and saying, you got anything to say here? Oh, you can't talk. Because you didn't. Yeah, I was right, you were wrong. Sing it all day long. Elizabeth here is praising God. There's such a contrast here because Zachariah did not believe. Oh, but young Mary did. And there's a lesson for us there. You know, Mary's belief came out of what I believe was a great trial for her. Perhaps a great crisis for her. That this was not at all what she had planned. When Joseph asked Mary to be his bride, when she became engaged to him, that this is not at all what this young teenage girl was considering her life would look like. And suddenly, she is thrust into a situation 
that could be very dangerous for her, where she may be an outcast in her culture, where she knew what people would be thinking and what they would be saying. And yet in the midst of this trial, she believes. Advent is a reminder to us that in the midst of our trials, we're called to believe as well. But sometimes believing is hard. Sometimes, especially perhaps for you this Christmas season, perhaps this is a hard time for you. Because maybe for you, this Christmas isn't about so much the gifts and the giving and the parties and who's going to be there. Maybe this Christmas is about who's not there. Maybe it's a reminder of loss you've experienced in this last year. Maybe the reminder of loss you experienced years ago. Maybe for you, Christmas is just a hard time to believe because of your grief and because of your loss. And, and here's, here's the good news. The Scripture doesn't come to us and say, well, just, just turn that frown upside down. To just fake it till you make it. No, the Scripture reminds us that believing is hard, especially when loss is hard. The Scripture reminds us that loss challenges our beliefs. The Scripture reminds us, friends, that no one stands still in their suffering. Your suffering will either drive you closer to the Lord or it will drive you farther from the Lord. Not a year goes by that I don't have a conversation with someone or concerning someone where I don't hear them say or someone say about them, oh, well, they used to come to church and then this happened. Suffering, loss, grief, and trial, these things challenge our belief. But, But the Scripture calls us to remember what we know. (laughs) See, there's always this temptation when we grieve or when we suffer to base our life and our decisions on how we feel. But the Scripture says, no, remember what you know. And here's a few things we can know as a believer. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, And saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147.3 He, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so the scripture not only says God is near us in our suffering, it says He brings healing in our suffering. And maybe you're in a place where you're like, well, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, then He tells us this looking ahead. Revelation 21 He will... Wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the day is coming when death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, he says one day, the former things, all this suffering, grief, and trial, all that he says, the former things have passed away. 
Suffering challenges our belief, but suffering can also strengthen our belief. Because out of suffering, great faith can be forged. And that was the case a number of years ago in the mid-1800s for one young man. His name was William Dix. He lived in Glasgow, Scotland in the mid-1800s. He was a successful insurance salesman. He's in his 20s. It seemed that everything in life was going well for him. But at the age of 29, he was struck by a sudden and very serious illness. He'd be confined to his bed at that point for an extended period of time. In that time, he would suffer a deep depression. But in William's suffering and in his darkness, he called out to God. His suffering brought him to a crisis of faith, but, but rather than fleeing from God, he, he called out to God. And he would later recount that it was in that time that God met him in a new and a real way. And through his experiences and sufferings, he would write a Christmas poem entitled The Manger Throne. And a song would come from that poem that you're probably familiar with this morning. What child is this? And William's suffering, laying there in that bed, rather than just dwelling on his circumstances, he chose to consider what the Scripture teaches, and he began to think back to the nativity. And he began to think back to what it would have been like to experience the Christ child. And he wrote these words, What, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear. For sinners here, the silent word is pleading. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come rich and poor to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing. So haste, haste to bring him laud. The babe, the son of Mary. Friends, if this is all fake news, then William Dix and we today are the greatest fools that ever lived. But if this is indeed God's word and it is the truth, then it calls us to belief. And it calls us to in the midst of our suffering, our trial, and in the midst of our celebration, our good times, whatever the case, it calls us to trust in Christ, to believe in Christ, and to lay down our lives and live for Christ. Do you believe these things? Will you praise God for these things this Advent season and this day? 
these are things to consider as we pray and as we sing. So if you'll stand with me as I pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the genuine truth that's been handed down to us through the sacred word that we read this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we don't gather here as fools, but we gather here as followers. We gather here as those who are placing their trust and their faith in Christ, their King. We thank you, Lord, that whether this morning we are suffering or we are celebrating, our faith can rest firmly in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for any here who's yet to place their faith in Christ. That you call them to repentance and you call them to faith. Pray for any who's considering joining this church family, God, that you'd lead them in that process. I pray for any who might come forward today that you would give us opportunity to counsel them and pray with them and encourage them in their step of faith. I pray for us, God, as we sing about Christ. That, that we won't just sing of him as king, but we would live with him as king. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.